got to pop in on us and us gets to, to bless them. Bless you guys. Thank you so much for uh, for your service to the kingdom there. Um, also, um, uh, just want to highlight a couple of things. Uh, Jorge had his last uh, chemo treatment. He got to ring the bell. And uh, to God be the glory, right? Uh, cancer free. And uh, you guys have been married 18 years today. So uh, that's good. Blessing. Uh, very good. I know there's other things to celebrate. Ryan Hansen has a birthday today. Yeah, there we go. I mean, I, we'll just, anybody else just want to be blessed uh, while we're at it. Um, you know, we've been walking through the book of Joshua, and I hope it's been a challenge for you. The, the objective from day one as the Lord gave us the series was uh, as we walked through it, we knew it was going to take 12 weeks to get what we felt like the objective of what God wanted to get for us totally out of uh, the book of Joshua. And uh, Brett did a wonderful job. Alan did a wonderful job. It's just been good to walk through it. But uh, today we're going to fast forward a little bit, okay? I mean, we, uh, we've we made it up through chapter 14. Now we're going to jump all the way to uh, chapter 20. And uh, the objective has been to look at a historical uh, something that God did in history, but to see how that relates to how we walk out our victorious Christian life today. And the reason we're skipping on ahead, you know, Alan uh, dealt uh, with the scriptures last week and, and, and dealt with Caleb, brought us to a good point there. But what's happening is, remember, there's 12 tribes of the, the sons of Jacob, the 12 of them split into 12 tribes. Uh, and uh, uh, now it is there was a southern campaign to take the land, a northern campaign, and what has happened now is they start divvying up the land, okay? And they start giving the land to the tribes, and that's when you go into the back of your Bible, you see these maps and say, oh, that's what that means. They start divvying up the land uh, that was there. And uh, so we're jumping up to chapter 20 today and dealing with um, what I think is, is, is a great thing that uh, when we were first splitting up who was going to do what on, on the series when we came to this particular one, I felt this pull to it, and I don't—I'd never really studied it the way uh, I needed to. And, and but today, it's going to be a good word, I believe, that God has for us. But let me give you a word picture to get us started uh, with what's going on. Uh, some of you—I I don't know if somebody sent me this video or I saw it on Facebook. Oh, let me deal with some housekeeping. How many of you did not receive one of these little brown cards? Anybody? Okay, uh, Kelly, if you can get those, you, you need one of these. Little brown cards, and um, uh, and we'll get to that in just just a minute. We've got some over here, Jeff. Is there any more? Y'all must have just come in. Y'all didn't even get a bulletin, did you? How, how do you know the players and their numbers if you don't get a bulletin? All right, you, you just keep coming every week, right? Um, all right. Well, you're going to need this eventually. Some more over here. Is there, are we out of them? You know the way church works? I've been in church work so long. You usually print enough bulletins for those that never come. And then you guys pick it up, you look at it, and then you throw it in the discard pile. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, we've, we've started doing something at staff. You don't care about this, but I'm giving them some time to, to, to give. Uh, now at staff meeting, we always have a worship time as, as it leads into prayer. And now we've just started putting the name on the marker board and everybody just takes their phone and looks up the lyrics. So it's, maybe we ought to do that on some Sunday. Uh, just everybody pull out their phone and do that. Well, I'm going to go ahead and jump into it. Kelly, will, Kelly will get you there. 
as quick as he can. Uh, somebody sent me this video, or I saw it on Facebook or, or something. It's called World Chase Tag. Have you seen this? Uh, it is taking the childhood game of tag to a new level, and it's called World Chase Tag. You can actually, there's a league and everything. It just blew my mind. And uh, the, these guys are they're paired up, and they're chasing. One of them is, is the one chasing. The other one is gonna, the one that's going to be tagged. And they've got all these obstacles and stuff that they're running all around in a designated area until they catch the other one. And I'm thinking, man, that's taking chase to a whole new level right there. I mean, it's it's incredible. But most of you played Chase as a kid, and you know there was variations of it <clears throat> that you might play. But the object of Chase was there's a guy chasing everybody, and then then uh, you would get tagged, right? And if you got tagged, you were at, either out or it was a freeze tag kind of situation. You would get frozen. Or there are variations of it now where you get tagged, and uh, then you become part of it. And, and uh, my grandkids like to play the sharks and minnows. So we'll go in the backyard and play sharks and minnows back there. But uh, here's, the, here's the deal I remember about playing tag as a kid is that it was always good to have a base. You know, uh, to dig it up, have a base to go to that at least for a short time you were safe, right? If you were to get the base, whether it was a pole or it was a designated area, then you were safe when you were there. Uh, today we're looking at a spiritual type of what I'm calling finding home base. And uh, it's that place of refuge, that place of safety that God has set for us. And uh, God has given us a great historical picture of that in Joshua chapter 20. So let's look at it. And I want you, I want to read it and then come back and unpack it. And I believe God has a great word uh, for us today as we look at that. So Joshua chapter 20, beginning with verse 1, it says this. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge. In other words, to set them apart. As I instructed you through Moses, so that anyone who kills a person accidentally and unintentionally may flee there and find protection from the avenger of blood. And I'll unpack this in a minute, so don't, don't worry about it yet. When they flee to one of these cities, they are to stand in the entrance of the city gate and state their case before the elders of that city. Then the elders are to admit the fugitive into their city and provide a place to live among them. If the avenger of blood comes in pursuit, the elders must not surrender the fugitive because the fugitive killed their neighbor unintentionally and without malice aforethought. They are to stay in that city until they have stood trial before the assembly and until the death of the high priest who is serving at that time. Then they may go back to their own home in the town from which they fled. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. East of the Jordan, on the other side from Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau in the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan in the tribe of Manasseh. Any of the Israelites or any foreigner residing among them who killed someone accidentally could flee to these designated cities and not be killed by the avenger of blood prior to standing trial before the assembly. Now, that's something, isn't it? Uh, now, I want to try to help you to understand this a little bit, though, because there's some things here you're thinking, Mark, 
What does that have to do with us today as we look at that? When I want to give you a little history here, it's called the city of refuge is what these cities are called. Now, you have to understand something. It wasn't like you've got these tribes and everything's uh, tribal, okay? You take care of your tribe. You police your tribe. It's not like there was this... uh, the police of Israel who are going around doing arresting everybody, the tribe would take care of things. And so what would happen is, is that if someone were killed, okay, and it was killed at the hands of another person, then something needed to be done. In fact, in Genesis, I want you to see this in Genesis chapter 9, verse 4, this is what God put in place right from the beginning. He says, but you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. So what he is saying is from the very beginning, hear this. you got to hear this. Life is precious to God. All life. The most Um, what we would consider the most scoundrel on this planet right now, their life is precious to God. Every child that has been conceived is precious to God. Every one of you in this room who thinks they're an accident or have lost your identity of who you really are, you are incredibly precious to God. And any time there is blood spilt, it grieves God's heart and there must be an accounting for that blood that was shed. And, and this is what God said from the very beginning. And we're going to see how he ultimately took care of that. But in the Old Testament is that when someone was killed by another person, within that tribe they had what was called the avenger of blood. In other words, if, if there is a person killed, then that family has the right to come and take your life because you took the life of somebody in their family. And this is the way it was. That's that avenger of blood. They would come and take your life. So they would be searching you down. And so you would you would run. And you're thinking, man, I, I, maybe I didn't kill them on purpose. And uh, the difference between what's called manslaughter and murder, the manslaughter would be there was no uh, mention ahead of time. There was no premeditated. There was no... Um, uh, a history of hatred in that situation, but but something happened. It may have happened in a flash up, or something happened that a life was taken. Murder, on the hand, other hand, premeditated. There was anger ahead of time. This was planned out. That was the difference between manslaughter and murder. And for the person that was murdered, yeah, they would take care of that. But manslaughter, they've got a situation here, but the avenger of blood was going to come after them. You, you, you see this with me so far. It's foreign to us. This still takes place in Middle Eastern countries today in many places, that there's an avenger of blood if you take the life of a person. So what had to happen is they decided to set up what, what's going to happen, and this was God's idea. So what happened is, is they set up these cities of refuge. In, in Moses, in Numbers chapter 35, he said, this is what you need to do, setting up these cities. And so they set up six of them. If you put the Jordan River down the middle of Israel, you can go check the maps in your back. But Jordan River down the middle, you had three on the eastern side that Moses designated. And then he said, when you cross into the promised land, there, you need to designate three more. And they were spread out. There were two at the north, two in the middle, and two in the south uh, is the way it worked out. And this is what would happen. You had killed someone. And you ran to the city of refuge. I, I would run because somebody's after you. You go to the city of refuge. You come to the gates of that city. And the elders of that city are there. And you would yell out, hey, I killed somebody. An avenger of blood is after me. 
And they would say, come on in. And you would come in. And what would eventually happen is, is there would be a trial to see exactly what happened. Or, number two is, the high priest would die. And when the high priest died, it allowed people in the city of refuge to go uh, back to their, their, their homes. Now, why is that? Well, somehow in the midst of this, God considered the death of the high priest to cover the guilt of what took place with that individual. Hmm, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Is that what Jesus, our great high priest, did? Did he not die and his blood cover the sin of us? But that's what the picture was as this would happen. But if you left the city, the avenger of blood could still kill you. So you needed to stay in that city uh, for the protection that would come from that city. And uh, I want to kind of walk through it a little bit like this so that you will you will understand it a little bit. First of all, the plan of these cities of refuge. The plan was God's plan, okay? It wasn't man's plan. It was God's plan. So it, it, God, from the very beginning, had set it up that these people would find mercy, would find uh, grace, would find justice. And so God established this. I, I, I'm going to parallel this with our lives a little bit. I want you to know, first of all, God loves you. I know when we read the Old Testament, we say, man, God was ticked off, wasn't he? I mean, he was cleaning house and all this kind of stuff. But you, we have seen through the book of Joshua, which is probably the bloodiest of all books when it comes to battles, you start seeing this bloodiness that takes place. God, at, at, uh, he did it at Jericho. He did it at Ai. He did it with the Gibeonites. He always it was extending mercy and grace. And I want you to know he's doing that with the city of refuge. And I want you to know he did that through Jesus Christ. And it wasn't your idea. It was his idea. The Bible said that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave. It was his plan. The cities of refuge were his plans. Salvation for you and I was his plan. So that was the plan. Second of all, though, is the uh, purpose of these cities. The purpose of these cities of refuge was to give hope and salvation to the person who had no hope and no salvation. I mean, what are you going to do? How far are you going to run if the city of refuge doesn't exist? That blood avenger is going to come and he's going to kill you and he's going to take your life because you took a family member's life of him. And so this is what this is what they were going to do. But the purpose of the cities was to create hope and salvation for the guilty party. Hmm. Let's parallel that with what Jesus did for us. Jesus Christ came to give hope and salvation for us that did not have a chance. No chance. We can think, well, Mark, I'm a good person. Listen, you're just a good lost person. Mark, I don't have a chance. Yes, you do have a chance. God has provided the way of hope and salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he is offering that to you. That was the purpose of the cities. But here's the next one. The power of the cities. The, the, the power of the city. Everybody recognized the authority of the cities. Even the blood avenger understood the power and the authority of the city. So the blood avenger knew, I mean, you're thinking, well, he's the blood avenger. Couldn't he sneak into the city and find the guy and kill him? No. He recognized that God has established this and the power and authority of these cities is there. The power and the authority of the cross of Jesus Christ 
the enemy himself, the Satan, the devil, understands the authority of the cross. And he knows it's defeated him. And that's what Christ has done for us. The power of the cities. Here's the next one, though. The prominence of the city. The, these cities were available for everybody. They, uh, uh, excuse me, the presence. Let me go back to the presence of the city. The presence of the city. These were accessible and available to everybody. In other words, everybody was allowed in. Even the foreigner was allowed in. If he shows up and he declares, he declares, hey, I've killed somebody. The blood of injury is after me. Even the foreigner was allowed in. These were available to everybody. Isn't it interesting that I can stand here and assuredly tell you the cross of Jesus Christ and his salvation is available to every man who calls upon him. Every man. So you see how these cities of refuge and and the cross parallel each other so much. But what about the prominence of these cities? Here's the interesting thing about these cities in my studies. These cities, all six of them, were put on high places. So you could see them from a distance. And the other thing is, is that they would have signs. And the Hebrew word for, uh, for the, the cities was called miklot. And so what happened? I don't know. I thought about McDonald's. Maybe it was a big old golden arch that they had would designate the cities. But they had these cities that would say McLeod on them, and, and that meant that this was the city. Come this direction for refuge. Come for refuge to the city. And it was on a hill. The city on a hill could not be hidden. So they would see that and they would run to it. I want you to know that Jesus Christ did not hide himself under a bushel. He came to reveal himself that every man, and it is marked out for you to come as he, as he calls out to you, and you come to him. Isn't it incredible to see the parallel of these cities with what Jesus Christ did for us. It was God's plan. It was God's purpose to bring salvation. It was God's power that, that even the devil has to recognize. It's, it's his presence that anybody can come in. And it's the prominences that he is pointing the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So what? So what does that mean to you? I'm going to tell you straight up, you and I, because of sin in our life, killed Jesus. Somebody's going to say, well, I've never killed anybody. Yeah, we killed Jesus. You're saying, okay, Mark, you're stretching it. Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit has just come down, okay? The church is birthed. Lives are changed. um, Holy Spirit has come upon them. Simon Peter gets up to preach the first sermon. And get this for a sermon. He's preaching to all these Jewish people. And there's some Greeks that are hearing it because the Romans had killed Jesus. And he stands up in the midst of them and he says, listen, you killed God's son. Now, those people could have said, listen, uh, we didn't have the hammer in our hand. We didn't have the nails. We we did not do that. But yet they bought that because the Holy Spirit started bringing conviction because it was the sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was, You know, the Romans carried it out, but yet it was the sin of mankind is why Jesus went to the cross. Now, we're thinking, I wasn't there, Mark. I had nothing to do with that. Let me tell you something. Our sin, Jesus Christ had to come for our sin. Listen, if Jesus Christ did not come for our sin, then you and I are bound for a godless hell. We're bound. But our sin put Jesus on that cross, so we killed Jesus. And the Bible says this, 
In Romans 6.23, the wage of sin is death. The wage of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We, we killed Jesus. The wage of that is going to be death. Now, his death paid the price, but you and I fall into that. I, here, here's the third point that I want you to make. I want you to hear. God provided the refuge. Uh, in fact, I want to read to you the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 16, says this. It says, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, the oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. What's the promise? The promise is Christ and salvation that he brings. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, get this, we who have fled to him for refuge can have a great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. God has provided refuge for us. I want you to hear some. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. He said that we are allowed into the inner sanctuary. That's a, that's a Jewish picture of coming into the very holy presence of God. Jesus said, I just quoted it a minute ago. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I want you to, you've got to hear this because so many of us are struggling with our identity today. We think Jesus came on the cross so that we go to heaven someday and not to hell. He said we come into the Father. That means we come into intimate relationship with the Father. Our identity is no longer determined by the sin we've done or who we think we are. It is now determined by coming into presence with our Father. And that is now. So I don't want you to think, oh, someday I'm going to go to heaven. Then I have a relationship with the Father. No, you have it now. And he has provided that refuge for you to come to him. Some of you have been running to so many different things to find refuge, to find hope, to find meaning, to find purpose. And God is saying, listen, I've provided it for you. Come to me. Come to me. Jesus said this, all those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. But here's the problem. Maybe we murdered Jesus by our sin. Maybe our sin murdered Jesus. I told you the difference between murder and manslaughter. The man who murders has no hope. The man who has committed manslaughter, um, he killed someone, but it was no uh, beforethought, no uh, anger or animosity ahead of time. Maybe we committed murder and we have no hope by murdering Jesus. Or maybe we had manslaughter, but I don't see how that could be. Uh, how, what happened? On the cross, you got to hear this. On the cross, Jesus said, you remember these words, and they've become so much more meaningful to, this, to me this week. He said this, 
Father, forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus declared right then it was not murder. It was manslaughter. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And at that point, he said, you can have refuge. I have refuge for you. In other words, there's nobody in this room who is too far gone that you can't find hope in Jesus Christ. Nobody. Nobody. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Listen, I cannot, I'm coming to the point, the older I get, the more I'm understanding. I see so many people walk away from their faith or turn their back on God or whatever it may be. It makes me wonder if we have not cheapened the grace of what Jesus Christ has done. And people just think, well, if I walk an aisle or sign a card or I go through the waters of baptism, maybe that's enough. Let me tell you something. If that's the case, why would your life not be transformed? I mean, we, we see when we look at the Word of God, when we come, it, the Bible actually says that anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We, we find that He paid the price for us so that we could live a life that's different. And so I cannot assume because you walked an aisle or, or you may have d- gone through ritualistic stuff. And, and I hate to call it ritualistic because next week we're baptizing. And I think it's a beautiful picture of the, of the salvation that has come. But are you walking in doubt today? Or is there someone in here that's walking in doubt? Say, I really don't know, Mark. I don't know if I've entered into that refuge. I don't know if I've come to the place of, of, of standing at the gate and say, God, there's no way you're going to let me in because I have murdered your son or I've taken the life of your son and this is what I've done. And he says, well, I offer you refuge. Come on. You've not done that. Listen, I'm drawing a line today. I think today is the day you step in and be able to confess, Lord Jesus, I need you. What you did on the cross by shedding your blood, I need that. I need that intimate relationship with the Father because I am guilty on my own. There's blood on my hands, Lord, and I need your forgiveness. Right now. He's saying, come to me right now. Don't wait for some song to start tugging your heart. Don't wait for for somebody else to say something right now. Right now. Just a breath of prayer. God, I need you. Secondly, you got a card when you came in. And let me just kind of explain to you what this card is. Go ahead and take it out. If you've got to implement the right with, you can pull it out as well. I put a scripture on one side, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Hear that again. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. All men. And then on the back, knowing that this is God's will, I commit to daily pray for these individuals that they may come to a knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ. Here's where my challenge is. I want you to write down three people 
that do not know Christ. You know, you know they don't know Christ. And I want you to write them down. Do it, do it now or you're going to get out to your car and, or you're going to leave it somewhere and, and you're not going to deal with it. You know, write them down. And I don't mean, I don't mean President Putin of the Russian. I, I mean, I mean somebody that you have connection with somehow. Could be a boss, could be a spouse, could be a child, could be a neighbor. And you're saying, well, Mark, I can come up with 15 or 20. Do you pray for 15 or 20? Probably not. We're, listen, I'm challenging you to get serious with me about this. I believe Central is a great place. I think we, we do a good job of loving on each other and ministering. I do not think we do an adequate job of, of letting our heart break with the thing that breaks God's heart, which is people that, don't, that are far from Him. And I'm challenging us to step up in that area. And I'm the first to say, please forgive me for not leading better in this area. But I want you to write down three people right now that do not know Christ and you're going to commit to pray for them not weekly daily I want you to put it on your mirror or put it in your car or put it in your Bible where you have your daily devotionals I want you to put it there and you're going to begin to pray and let me tell you something if we believe it's God's will and we're asking for God's will to be accomplished I believe it's going to happen I believe you're going to start sitting with people that you have put on this card and you're gonna, your worship is going to go to a new level because you're anticipating what the Spirit of God is going to do in their life. So I want you to do that right now. And I want to share with you, just in closing, a, a biblical story that I think will help bring this point home. And, and for you that are, that are new to the Scriptures, you're going to have to trust me on this story. But let me give you some background. The greatest king of Israel was David, right? David. So this involves David in this story. But uh, before David, there was a king by the name of Saul. Saul, who's, uh, who was over all his armies, was a guy by the name of Abner. Okay? Abner was over all the armies of Saul. And so um, when Saul died, David there was a split as to who was going to be king. Some said one of Saul's sons should be king, but the majority of the people said David should be king. David was in Hebron, but uh, Saul's son was uh, in the north, and he kept Abner over his armies. But David had someone over his armies who was named Joab. Stick with me, okay? Joab and Abner, those are the two main characters now. Abner represented Saul's lineage, and, and uh, Joab represented David. Well, this is a strange story, but it's a true story. In the area of Gibeah, one day, Abner had his soldiers there. Joab had his soldiers there. You talk about boredom. This is what they decided to do. They decided, hey, you take some of your tough, your tough guys. We'll take some of our tough guys, and let's let them battle it out. Now, it wasn't like arm wrestling or leg wrestling or something. Like, they battled to death. And they decided to do that. You talk about boredom all of a sudden. And this is what they do. So they're getting this stuff. And it, the David's men are just killing all of, all of uh, uh, Abner's men. So Abner gets in his chariot and he decides to take off. Well, as he's going off in his chariot, Joab's brother 
by the name of Ashel, who is a sprinter, takes off after Abner. And he's taken off after Abner. And uh, Abner turns around and said, Ashel, if that's you, you need to stop now. And Ashel keeps coming. He keeps coming. He keeps coming. And all of a sudden, this is what Abner does. He takes his spear, thrusts it back right through Ashel, kills him right there on the side of the road. Well, now here comes Joab and finds his brother dead on the side of the road, and he knows Abner has done it. So Abner is now running from a blood avenger who is Joab. If you've been with me, that's what's happening. That means the rest of his days, Joab is going to do what he can to destroy Abner. Well, fast forward into 2 Samuel chapters 3, 4, and 5 in there. Abner comes to visit David at Hebron. I've already told you that Hebron is one of the cities of refuge. And he comes to Hebron and he visits with David. And David has mercy towards Abner. But Abner made a mistake. He left the gates of Hebron. And who's going to be there? Joab. What does Joab do? He avenges the blood of his brother. And he kills Abner outside the gates of Hebron. David prays a prayer in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And part of it is this. He said, why should Abner die the death of a fool? And what he meant by that was Abner could have stayed within these walls and had refuge. But he died at the gate outside of the city by the hands of the blood avenger. How foolish. Let me tell you, there's a lot of people that are outside of the gates. And I want to know, does it break our hearts that they're not in refuge? You know, it's interesting that all of these cities, if you were to go back and look at the names of what these cities meant, I'm just going to give you a brief overview so you can, you can see what they meant, is that, and, and all of these refer to how we walk with Christ. Kadesh means righteousness. Shechem means burden bearer. Hebron means fellowship. Bezer means fortress. Ramoth and Gilead means the heights. Golan means deliverance from exile. These are all of the things that Christ has provided for those that call upon him. I want, to, I want you to bow your head with me just a moment. And don't, don't close your ears, though. I want you just to draw a circle around yourself right now. I mean, somehow circle yourself off from this group. And I want to ask you this. Do you know for sure that you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know for sure? If not, please understand God loves you and he's calling you to himself right now. He has provided the way of refuge for you right now. And he is waiting for you. He's not going to do it for you. That's the whole deal is that if somebody's going to enter into the city of refuge, they have to enter in. And he's waiting for you. And if you said someday I will do that. You've made a decision today. We're not promised tomorrow. 
Understand, God loves you. Jesus Christ went to the cross as the great high priest, the high priest that will never die. And he is our refuge. 